depending on how you feel about sports, you may either find that clip to be inspiring or maybe you find it to be exhausting. I'm, I'm still not sure uh, which, which I think it is, but one thing is very clear about the lesson that's presented there is this. We are more capable than we think when we don't quit before we get started. Um, I don't know how often you feel like a winner versus feeling like a loser. That's something that I wrestle with at times. Sometimes I feel a little bit better on Thursday nights when I play volleyball uh, because I, I enjoy that. We're, we're good at it, but this past Thursday night did not help at all. We played horrible. And so, like, this week, I'm not, not, my winner quotient is not as high as maybe I would like it to be. I, I generally think, like, every time I do something, oh, man, I could have done that a little bit better. At least I hope that I'm capable of continual improvement at, at some point. Like, I'm always hoping, like, I, I, can, I can reach a little bit further than I've reached at this point in my life. Um, but it's a major, it has a major impact on our life and our perspective and how we treat our day, how we treat the direction of our life when we think about what we're capable of and what we believe about that. There's a course-correcting, life-altering truth that is offered to us through our hope that we have in Jesus. It gives us the foundation for confidence in who we are because of Christ. And it changes the course and direction of our lives. When we have the faith to believe and trust that God's promises that he gives to us, that he says are true for us through Jesus, how they're meant to be encouraging to us, how they're meant to in the moments when we're discouraged or feeling capable or just feel like downright losers, that we can know and be reminded of what's actually true about who we are in Christ. And so this is the, this is the passage of Scripture that anchors that so clearly, at least in my mind, and I hope it does for you as well. It's from Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 37. I'm going to read to verse 39. Paul writes this. He says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a stick to there's a can-do winning mentality that comes along with that statement that we are more than conquerors because of Jesus, regardless of what happens in this life. And the faith that we have in this truth makes a big difference for our day-to-day. There's a clear path to the end zone for us, and yet so often we get tripped up by lines that are just arbitrarily painted on a field that keep us from there. Maybe the reaction of people that are sitting on the sidelines that really have no idea what it's like to be you and to live your life and to go through what you're doing. They trip us up from reaching what seems to be an impossibility rather than the inevitability that it already is because of what Jesus has done. I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, one of the things that becomes clear to me, and maybe it's just because I'm getting older and more curmudgeonly, you know, the get off my lawn thing, like it comes to mind a lot for me, but there are clear indicators that will clue you in on whether or not someone is about to lose or about to win in their life. Uh, the things that we say, the reactions that we have, what we choose to dwell on can quickly become self-fulfilling prophecies for how something is going to play out for us. And so I've got some examples for you, and I pulled these from social media. And so I, I, I don't know how many of these 
will resonate with you or that you will get. I'm hoping that you don't get these references because that means you haven't had to experience these things before in your life. But I'm going to share them with you uh, anyway because when we think like this, these are examples of how we're going to lose every time. Okay. So the first thing that I see a lot is a three-letter, uh, a phrase that's represented by three letters that I can't repeat here, uh, but it kind of encapsulates your life in a certain way uh, that says that it's, it's, it's uh, worthless in that moment. Okay, so some of you are shaking your head. You know what I'm talking about. If you don't, that's great. I'm glad you don't, okay? So you know that you already set yourself up for failure. All right, here's another example. Anything that requires prying from your cold, dead hands... Like, you've already self-determined. We're not going to laugh at that one? Okay, good. Maybe we don't get that one, or maybe that hits too close to home. I don't, I don't know which. But, like, that's problematic. We've already set ourselves up for failure. Uh, anything attached to moving to another country as a solution, that's, that's problematic. Because, really, what you're saying is you're not going to do anything about it because we know you aren't actually going to move and that you aren't going to take any real substantive action with that. You just want to kind of put your... Uh, how you're feeling out, out there, act like you're feeling passionate about it, okay. Um, here's another one. I don't normally post things like this, but I, I will say it depends on what you normally post. So if you normally post things that are miserable and then you don't normally post good things, like that, it could, it could be used in that way. But most of the time when we say this, it's used to precede something that's, it, we're kind of boiling over a pent-up emotion that we've been keeping and we're just going to kind of blurt it out regardless of the consequences. All right. Do you guys know what subtweeting is? Do you know what Twitter is? I don't know how many of you know what Twitter is. That's a, I, I, yeah, we've kind of got a mix, and, and that, which, which is good. So subtweeting is when you're on social media and you talk about someone without using their name or saying who they are. All right, we do that in real life too. I don't, and then there's, I think probably most of us are on fake, Facebook. Have you heard of vague booking? like Facebooking, so that's when we don't actually talk about a situation clearly enough so that people know what we're saying, but we create enough drama that people will try to interact with us and say, oh, is everything okay? And then we'll say, no, we don't really want to talk about it when we just, you know, just want kind of people to pay attention to us. Because if you actually shared all the details, people would just roll their eyes at you. All right, <clears throat> here's another one. When someone has a post that says, don't at me, all right, at is what you say when you're about to respond to someone, and so you can put that, the ampersand, no, that's not the ampersand, is it? No, that's the at sign, and you put that before their name, and it would respond to them. What you're communicating when you say that is that you want to remain willfully ignorant of whatever you're feeling petty about without anybody correcting you in, the, in that manner, okay? Some of you are like, I can't believe people do these kinds of things, or you don't know what I'm talking about, which is totally cool. I'm glad for you. Like, f feel blessed. All right. How about when someone begins a post with, to the person who? All right. So, so they're not actually talking to that person, and most of the time this is about some random person that they meet throughout their day that just somehow inconveniences them in a way that they probably don't even have a clue about, but they can't get past that fact, and they want to just whine and complain about it on social media. All right. How about this one? I'm going to do me. That's one of my favorite ones. What this means, I'm translating these for you. What this means is this is a way to say um, that you're going to do whatever makes you happy without regard to anyone else's feelings. And what we mean when we say that is that we're going to become an unfiltered version of ourselves, which means we're going to become the worst version of ourselves. 
Like, that's what we're saying. We're just, we're just going to be the terrible person that we really are on the inside, on the outside. Are you guys cool with that? And we want likes and all that kind of stuff for that. All right. Here's the last one. Um, this, this is the one, you know, we start off with, and I see people use all the time, for all you haters out there. And, and like, that's a special one in and of itself because that just really communicates exactly who has all of your attention in life. I mean, these are all examples, and there are plenty more, trust me. And I just want to let you know, I did not comb anybody's Facebook page to look for these examples, first or second service. These are just things that I've seen come across. There's not, not anybody here I can think of that have done these things before. Maybe you have. We've all had times where we've had things happen in life and we've reacted in poor ways to it, but they're indicators of whether or not we have, are going to conquer this thing, this obstacle that we're facing, or whether that thing has already conquered us. They're the habits of those who lose out in life because they're focused so much on their se- themselves and their own desires rather than on how God desires for us to handle ourselves and handle the things, the obstacles that we face in this life. In Romans 8, verse 5 and 6, Paul writes this, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. There are way too many socially acceptable ways for adults to throw temper tantrums in this world. And we're like, oh, man, you're being so brave and authentic by telling us what you really think in those, in those arenas. And we disguise it as being true to oneself, or even sometimes we'll disguise it as being self-care, which is a whole other can of worms. I'm not saying self-care is bad. I'm just saying sometimes we call things that they were just us being selfish, and they don't lead to or accomplish what we think they're going to. And it certainly doesn't reflect the character of someone who is conquering but who's been driven by things that are conquering them. It's a pre-heaven tension that all of us, even as Christians, have to wrestle with. Paul describes it like this in Romans chapter 7. He says, So I find this law at work. Although what I, I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man am I? I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. And so for anyone who's striving to live more and more like Jesus in their life, this paradox of life may sound frustratingly familiar to you. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. He says, Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so while we have these moments of weakness, these things that tempt us to respond in ways that don't actually aren't very helpful at all and don't help us to overcome the obstacles that we face in this life, We are going to experience those times of being overwhelmed by battles we even lose. But one of the things that we can be encouraged by and we need to be reminded of is that because of Jesus, the rules of sin and death no longer apply to us as Christians. And so we can live a different way. As people who carry within us the presence of God through the Holy Spirit, there's quite simply so many cares and troubles and obstacles of this world that are simply beneath us beneath our even recognition that they're of any significance in our life. The way we carry ourselves, how we get upset, what we get upset about, how we respond when we have obstacles in our path, 
and how these things determine the direction of our day and our lives are held at a higher standard that comes from the confidence of already knowing how things come out for us in the end. Translating this word conquerors is kind of an interesting choice here because even at the time that this was written, the Roman Empire like doesn't bring about a bunch of warm and fuzzies when you think about conquering. Conquering is a business decided not on the altruistic intentions of a benefactor, but, a, but upon uh, the winner-take-all bloodiness of a self-assured pursuit of power. Genghis Khan is one of the most famous conquerors in all of the world. His landmass of his empire covered uh, the same amount of land as the entire continent of Africa. By contrast, the Roman Empire only covered about half of the United States, the continental United States. As a child, when his father was killed, his family was abandoned by his tribe, left to survive on, on their own. His solution to life was to fight for survival and to continue to amass power in order to ensure his survival, especially after a former friend killed many of his men. So he ends up taking up the, over the world. But when Paul's talking about that, he's not talking about this kind of conquering. Like, that's the kind of conquering the world does, is like, i got to mow down anybody in my path to achieve my happiness, who I want to be, to be authentic and true to myself. But Paul's not talking about this kind of conquering. He's talking about a different kind of conquering. That kind of conquering is inspired by suffering and fear. The kind of conquering that leads to us complaining and whining and being caught up in so many petty things in this life. Just like when we seek to control the things of this world that don't go our way. And the problem with all of this is ultimately God gets his way. And we're children of God. And so we can act like it. It doesn't mean we don't get upset about things. It changes how we get upset about things and what we get upset about. In Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 19, Paul says, says this. He writes, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Whether we're trying to control a narrative or a person or an outcome in our lives, seizing control is a fear-based response that Paul points out as part of our life before Jesus, the life where we didn't know that we're already more than conquerors, regardless of what this life throws at us. Fear is never the inspiration for a lasting victory, and so it shouldn't dictate how we respond to life. Eventually, all empires that are built on fear and the need for control and power, they all fall. The only exception that will stand the test of time is God's kingdom, of which we're already heirs. We're already children of God's kingdom. And it's given on a grace-through-love basis. And so that should be the inspiration for how we respond to things that happen in our lives. So we can be cautious when we feel tempted to get caught up in the pettiness that so many other people are consumed with. There's so many adults that have not figured out yet that there really is a life beyond, high, beyond the social constructs of high school. I don't know if you've noticed that. I mean, I, I mean it's one of, the, one of the things at least I find funny in this life. So don't be surprised then when there seems there's less encouragement than there should be to live life according to a higher standard because so many people don't realize that it exists. Because we've all been caught up before in living by our own standards rather than God's. 
As followers of Jesus, we're not sustained by that type of approval, though, that kind of need for other people to hear what we have to say, but by the faith we have in the grace sustained by his death and resurrection. So let me read that opening passage again. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why when we did this sermon series on the letter of Romans, we didn't just call it the letter of Romans, we called it more than conquerors, because this is a foundational piece of how we're, we ought to be viewing ourselves and our interaction with life. And this is what Paul anchors for us in the middle of his letter as, as who we are in Jesus and why that dictates how we live out our faith in this world. Regardless of what we might face, we're already citizens and heirs of the kingdom that has already won an overwhelming, unsurpassable, and insurmountable victory. It's a kingdom that's not won through selfishness or the need for control or power or bloodthirstiness or fear, but through love. And we have been assured this victory. So may we, as we live our lives, carry ourselves as victors. The world needs people with a different type of attitude, a winning mentality that's not qualified, qualified by fear, but quantified by a fearless pursuit of a relationship with God and with sharing that with other people. I get it. I know that each and every one of us, including myself, all of us are facing some sort of battle in our lives right now. Whether it seems big and insignificant or small and petty, regardless of what it is, all of us are facing something. And, and you and God know the best more than anyone else what that is in your life. And you understand the significance of what that means to you. But there are some parameters for that battle based on this truth from Romans chapter 8. The first thing is this. Note, note how often Paul says we and our and us. And the most defeating lie that the enemy wants you to believe in is to think that you are alone in what you're facing. The battle that you're fighting is that there is no one else that understands or is a part of this or facing the same thing. The more unique you believe your situation is, the more individualistic and isolated you become, and the more the enemy is trying to pick you off. Not only are you not alone, there are others fighting alongside of you. That's why, that's why we do what we do. That's why Jesus established the church, is so we could encourage each other, be with each other, help us through those battles. That's why we come and we focus our lives and our worship on him together as a community, why we gather as small groups during the week to do, continue to do that with the, every day and the things that are going on in our lives. That's why we serve alongside of each other, because we know that we're all facing a battle. We live in a world that is broken by sin, and yet we are more than conquerors, and we can be reminded by that, of that when we gather together as believers. The second thing is this. There's no getting around suffering. We're never promised that we won't suffer. In fact, we're told we will. And we will go through varying degrees of suffering, and sometimes we will not see a clear path through it. But whether we're dealing with a painful circumstance or wrestling with exchanging our sinful desires for righteousness, not only does suffering not hold us back, what God does in us will reveal his glory through that suffering. 
Suffering is never the end of the story when it comes to how God interacts with us and what he is doing. So much of what we do is despite the temptation to fall prey to our suffering, even the greatest, even in the greatest times of our lives, we could find something that's not perfect, and yet God still produces goodness far more than what we can imagine when we keep pressing through that suffering because of who we are in Christ. And finally, last thing is this. If neither trouble or hardship or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, nor death, nor anything else can defeat the victory that we have in Christ, that means that not only will you survive this battle, you will win. It's a significant difference in mentality. Not only will you survive, you will win. Because the victory has already been won. You are more than a conqueror. So you don't have to keep fighting for this. It's an unsurpassable victory that Paul is talking about. So it's not a kingdom or an empire that has to be maintained and that you have to keep warring against other things. It's, it's like nothing can defeat it, is what he's saying. We're more than conquerors, not just conquerors. We've already won. So we get to hold our heads up just a little bit higher than anybody else. We get to hold ourselves to a little bit higher standard than anybody else. And we get to allow ourselves to experience more joy that the assurance of faith brings than anybody else. We have assured victory through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we're invited to not only know it, but experience it in this life. Let's pray. God, it's, it's difficult to uh, feel like a winner if you see your life in terms of uh, always being a loser. So, God, we ask that you change our perspective and what we're looking, looking to accomplish in this life. God, we ask that our standards be, be turned to yours. that we'd be more in tune with what you want to do versus what we want, that our desires would, would align more with you so that we can experience the life that you've called us to. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.